to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine, with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine, and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Parents and community members worry about the consequences of risky behavior by teens, especially when it comes to underage drinking and substance abuse. But not all teens choose risky paths. What can teens themselves tell us about their resiliency to make other choices, other ways to spend their time and their money? On our program this morning, we'll interview teens from Mount Desert Island High School about their service learning projects that promote resiliency, that go beyond just saying no. And we'll talk with Jessica Naylor of the Open Door Recovery Program in Ellsworth and um, Ed Eshley of the Acadia Family Center for their insights. We welcome your comments later on in the program and we'll list the phone number and we'll um, welcome you to participate. So let's um, begin by um, getting our guests to introduce themselves. We have three students from Mount Desdale High School. They're all first-year students, freshman students, and I uh, want to welcome David Savage. Welcome to you, David. You can say hello. <laughs> Get your voice warmed up because we're going to use it a little later on. Hannah Boyce. Hi. Hi, Hannah. And Abby Jewett. Hi. Welcome to all of you to uh, Talk of the Towns. And also in the studio is is, uh, Jessica Naylor of the um, Open Door Recovery Program. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Let me get a little bit of uh, background on each of you before we start. Um, um, Perhaps, uh, Hannah, we could start with you. Tell us a little bit about um, um, what you're interested in as a a freshman at MDI High School. Um, I'm interested in teen drinking. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, underage drinking. Um, and, and, but besides, we'll talk a little bit about that later, but in terms of your general school subjects and so on, what, you're, you're a freshman, what courses are interesting to you, and you're involved in softball, I understand? Yep. Yeah? Um, I really enjoy, um, Global Lit, which is, like, um, history. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. writing. Okay, great. How about you, um, Abby, what, what's your interest in high school? Um, like, most of the subjects, but, like, Global Ed is kind of an interesting subject because it's more combined with writing and social studies, and back in middle school, we didn't really have that. Ah, so kind of putting it all yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. How about you, David? What are some of the interests that you have outside of the, the topic we'll, we'll talk about today? Well, some of the interests I have, um, I really like a lot of parts of Global because I get to learn about what's happened in the past and what we can do to prevent some of the stuff that's going to happen in the future. Yeah. I think about Earth Day, which happened yesterday, of course, and, and I was at the University of Maine um, at the time, and there was a teach-in about um, what we were doing to the planet. And we've made some progress, but we've kind of, the rest of us have left a kind of a mess for you guys to kind of f- fix and clean up. So we're sorry about that, but <laughs> we, I'm glad that you're here to, to help out. Um, Jessica, a little bit of background uh, about you and, and uh, um, the uh, substance abuse work that you do. Um, Yes, this is uh, my fifth year working for the Open Door Recovery Center, Um, and the work that I do is primarily in um, high schools um, at Bucksport and Sumner, and a little bit with George Stevens Academy. 
Um, although the Open Door Recovery Center is an outpatient program for adults, mm-hmm. um, my work is primarily in the schools. Mm, great. And uh, tell us a little bit more about um, what um, Open Door does for, for adults in their, in their recovery program. Um, the Open Door Recovery Center is an intensive outpatient program. So folks that are having problems with alcohol or other drug addictions come to the Open Door for help. And the program is 10 weeks long and usually meets three times a week for those 10 weeks for counseling and um, support. Mm. And and rather than the the myth that we might have, to give us a a, um, kind of an overview of the kinds of people who show up and say, I need some help. Mm -hmm. It's it's really a mix of people. We have um, a few adolescents occasionally that go through the program. Um, and then we have folks, you know, anywhere from, you know, middle age to senior citizens. And in the past, I think the Open Door saw more uh, alcoholism. And then in the last six, seven years or so, there's been a real increase in opiate addiction in down East Maine. So we do um, see quite a few folks that are going through with, with some other substance abuse issues. Mm. In a moment, I'll ask you a little bit more about um, what the picture is for um, teens um, that you might be working with or teens in in general. But first, I want to ask um, our students to uh, describe the service learning idea. Is this part of your regular education? And what's the difference between service learning and and, uh, uh, community service, which which we all hear about too, might be a requirement. But um, how did you get interested in service learning? Is that kind of a requirement that you all get involved um, yeah, Abby? like um, our teachers, Ms. Muzzy and Ms. Mack, and all the other global lit teachers, um, they have us go through this program where we have to pick a community service, not a community service, a service learning right. program. Mm-hmm. Um, Ms. Muzzy and Ms. Mack also said that last year it was only a month thing, but this year they had it so that it was a whole semester long because they felt like last year it was too short and they were cramming everything. Mm. So we have a really advantage, I guess, uh-huh. that this is going through a whole semester. Right. And you got a chance to, to pick the topics that you were interested yeah. in. Yeah. Okay, good. And um, um, we'll come back to, to the more of the details there, but um, maybe just a, a one-line sentence of why you were interested in drug and alcohol issues in general. Um, start with Abby and then go to Hannah and then to David. Um, like in the past, like I don't really remember what, but I have done something with alcohol and all that back in guidance last year. Mm-hmm. So you had that kind of yeah. introduction to the subject area. Yeah. Okay. Yep. How about you, Hannah? Um, well, I personally know kids who have turned to alcohol, mm-hmm. and I am not a fan of it, and mm-hmm. it's, it can ruin your life. Mm, great. So you've seen some of the consequences. Yeah. yeah. How about you, David? You've, you're going to be talking a little bit about um, taking a little bit different approach in terms of policy later on when we talk with you. But what got you interested in this this particular topic? Well, a lot of my friends I know of, they drink a lot of alcohol mm-hmm. and then my, most of my family. Mm-hmm. They have been alcoholics mm-hmm. and former alcoholics and some of them are still are. So mm-hmm. that made me really interested. Sure, in sure. So you've kind of seen it up close and, and you see the, those results. Yeah. Well, let's um, get a, a bigger picture um, from Jessica about what, what teens are facing um, in this kind of day and age. Um, <clears throat> I think that um, the majority of the kids that, that I work with um, are using marijuana and alcohol, Um, although I think there has been quite an increase in prescription drug abuse um, in the schools as well. And a lot of the the harder drugs I don't see in the high school as much, Um, but I think marijuana 
is the biggest. Mm, mm. Yeah. And do you have a sense of what's attractive about marijuana? And we can see if, if, if that resonates with um, our guests here today. What's, what's attractive about alcohol and marijuana to <coughs> teens? Uh, I think sometimes it can be, um, you know, if their peers are doing it, and mm. especially if they're um, friends that they, you know, look up to um, or want to fit in with. I think that that can be really attractive. And I think it also, it's an instant high. Um, so if somebody's struggling with pain or anxiety, um, a lot of times folks will look to those substances for a quick fix, which mm -hmm. in the long run doesn't really work, but mm -hmm. it can seem pretty attractive right. at the beginning. Right. And do you have a sense of uh, prevalence? I, um, I, I assume that the state continues to do um, periodic kind of check-in in terms of student um, use of, of substances. What, what's the picture there? Do we have a, a picture of that? Um, <clears throat> there, are, there is experimentation I don't, I don't have the exact numbers right, of, right. of in the schools, but I, you know, the kids I work with are kids generally that have gotten in trouble um, and have violated school policy or sometimes will come just to kind of talk to me. I see a very small percentage of the kids that are at the school, although the sense that I get is that um, there is a lot of marijuana use and, and certainly alcohol abuse as well. Not all the kids that are using are addicted. Um, some of them are but there is definitely experimentation that's going on with mm. a larger number of the, the school population. Mm. How does that um, kind of connect with your experience as you've come, you know, you're as, as freshmen, you probably saw some of this as uh, sixth, seventh, eighth graders, you probably saw this sort of thing. What's your sense of the picture um, at your school in terms of, of how much um, uh, students turn to, mal uh, to marijuana or alcohol as a kind of a, a way to cope with things or because their friends are doing it? Any sense of how prevalent it is? I didn't really see it much in okay. seventh and eighth grade, but yep. definitely this year in high school, uh -huh. there has been problems, and I think I've noticed that mostly that's what they talk about now. And okay, it kind of bugs me. So other students <laughs> are talking about it. Yeah, like oh. that's all they talk about. I guess uh -huh. is what about I'm the, when to the say. next party is. Yeah, or, yep, yeah, yeah. And there was just a big um, like. Uh, suspension uh -huh. um, over Christmas break over it. A huge group of kids got caught uh -huh. over prescription drugs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And and um, so the school probably lets you know what the policies are. Yeah. yeah. And some of those policies um, have to do with whether you can participate in other school activities if you're um, caught um, either drinking or smoking marijuana or, I suppose, using prescription drugs. Yeah. yeah. So people are aware of those consequences, but um, that attraction force is sometimes stronger, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Jessica, um, what kind of, of uh, um, kind of stories can you tell us? Uh, you know, maybe certainly not without names, but I mean, without names. But um, give us a, a, a kind of a snapshot of who um, you're working with. I, it's interesting because a lot the there is a lot of variety um, mm -hmm. of the folks that I work with. I sometimes I actually work with kids that have parents that have substance abuse problems, so they're not necessarily using them themselves, right. but they are experiencing the results of serious substance abuse um, in their homes. And then I, I think a, quite a large percentage of the students that I work with are using marijuana. Um, and the thing that I see a lot with marijuana is that um, a lot of the time adolescents don't think that it's really a problem and that mm -hmm. it's not really affecting them. 
And time after time, I'll watch kids just kind of go through this process of, you know, coming back to see me and grades starting to slip and just this attitude of, of not really caring, but yet not recognizing that, that their substance use is what's causing that, um, which is the denial, you know, that you hear about with addiction. A lot of times folks don't really see it when they're in it until things get pretty bad. Mm. Sometimes... Um, kids end up dropping out of school. Mm. Um, that's you know more a more extreme case. And then other times, um, just see kind of you know not doing sports or not being involved in some of the activities that were positive in their lives before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, it, um, give us a sense of of how you would work with an individual um, student who has come to you. What I usually do is. It, it depends on what the situation is because sometimes kids have to come see me if they've uh-huh. broken a school policy. Right. So part of the deal is, okay, if you're going to stay in school, you have to do mm-hmm. counseling and education. In those situations, I really try to give folks as much education as I can about what choices they're making. So just so they know, this is how marijuana is actually going to affect your body. Although they may not agree with everything that I say, I just try to present them with as much information as I can so that they're able to make educated choices. Um, It really is going to be up to them what they choose to do, but I really think it's important that they understand, um, you know, what those those choices are going to do. Um, And then I also try to um, do some education with them around how addiction affects families. Um, We talk about coping skills. Um, and also just to kind of look at what else is going on in their life, because usually there are some other things happening there um, that may be part of why they're choosing to use substances. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe you could give us a um, just a, a short um, definition of what you would tell um, students about the effects of either marijuana or alcohol on, on their bodies um, to start sure. with. Yeah. Sure. Um, well, marijuana, um, there's a chemical in marijuana called THC, Um, And basically what happens with THC is that it settles in the fatty parts of a person's body. Um, And that's part of the reason why, you know, marijuana tends to stay in someone's body for up to a month. Um, But but one of the things about about, um, THC is that because it settles in the fatty parts of the body, the brain happens to be one of the fattiest parts of the body. Mm. And so what happens is that that THC goes to the brain and basically it coats the brain cells. Um, and they've actually done studies that show pictures of a brain, you know, that hasn't been smoking <laughs> marijuana. And then you've got the, the brain that has been smoking marijuana. And because it stays in your body for up to 30 days, you know, if someone's smoking Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, by Friday, you don't just have Friday's THC in your brain. You've got the whole week or whatever came the week before that. And Part of what happens is that that it slows your 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 brain's response down. Your thoughts are slower. Um, there is a syndrome called a motivational syndrome that's been recognized with folks that are heavy marijuana users. And basically, it just it's like it saps all your motivation. You mm-hmm. just just mm-hmm. don't care. You know, you mm-hmm. see the commercial on TV. You know, with the with a guy sitting on the couch. You know, and then twenty years later, still, still sitting on the couch. You know, getting stoned. <laughs> And that, it, it just kind of illustrating that, mm-hmm. a motivational syndrome that happens. How about alcohol? Is that, is there are some differences there? Um, there are, there are. And, and one of the things with alcohol is that um, basically some folks have kind of, uh, kind of 
set up, you know, if there's alcoholism in someone's family, your risk of becoming an alcoholic is higher. Kind of like, you know, if you have heart disease in your family, mm -hmm. you're probably going to have a higher chance of, you know, having heart disease later. So try to just let folks know that because I think that's really valuable information. Um, if there is alcoholism in the family, it doesn't mean that you're definitely going to be an alcoholic. It just means that your chances are higher. And so, you know, we talk about, you know, what does it mean to be an alcoholic? You know, what, is, what does that look like? Um, and, and generally, you know, with an addiction, you're looking at somebody continuing to do a behavior that's causing negative consequences, but continuing to do it anyway, even though, you know, you're running into these problems. And sometimes folks, you know, if, if the addiction has gotten, you know, really kind of going, then a lot of times most of the time people are pretty out of control and don't really have a choice anymore and that's where help comes in you know mm -hmm. you need to get some help with that the other thing too is with adolescents um, is that when they have done studies showing that when adolescents start drinking that the progression of alcoholism can be much quicker so if folks wait until they're you know an adult say wait till you're 21 to start drinking um, there is a lower rate of alcoholism mm -hmm. and um, once that once that process has happened once you become an alcoholic you don't go back to you know not being an alcoholic basically so mm -hmm. um, there's actually a brain a change in the brain human and, brain and um, young people's brains haven't fully formed yet so yes, that's, that's yes, part of the deal yes right, it's right. a it's a very um, so let's say you're, you've um, encountered someone who's um, been in trouble with school policies. They have to be there. How do you help them kind of um, see a different path or choose some other behaviors that um, might get some, some of the same things that they're looking for but yes. don't have the, the negative consequences? Yes. Um, you know, sometimes when I meet with kids, they're really not ready to change. So mm -hmm. we just kind of go through the process of doing our education. And, and, and usually um, it's a good opportunity for them, too, to talk about what's going on. It is totally confidential. Um, in terms of, of, you know, looking at a different, different path, I think one of the things that's really important is to recognize, okay, so what I'm doing isn't working. And, you know, what else can we do? If, if somebody really is at a place where they have an addiction, um, really it's going to need to be some help because it's a huge change to go from using to not using. And, you know, that's where, you know, going to, you know, coming to, you know, see me and also getting connected with some support groups, you know, like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous um, is really important. Um, you know, and hopefully folks don't get to the point where they're that addicted. But if that process has happened, it's really important to get a lot of support because it is a huge, huge change. And also to get some positive things in place. Um, you know, I, I really am big on, you know, kids doing sports and, and being physically active to kind of get some of the natural endorphins going, mm. which mm. are a natural high, you know, and aren't going to cause the problems that mm -hmm. using some of those drugs are. So, and, and, you know, there's many other things that I think just to find some positive outlet um, to find something that that adolescent enjoys, you know, that makes them happy, that's going to help build self-esteem and, you know, just create this positive cycle of feeling good about themselves is really vital to, mm. you know, any kind of long-term change. Great. Well, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We're talking about resiliency as a strategy to combat 
underage drinking and substance abuse. And we have some guests in the studio who are helping us with that topic. Jessica Naylor is here from the Open Door Recovery Program in Ellsworth. She's a substance abuse counselor and works a lot with teens in the area um, through the school system. And we have three um, students from Mount Desert Island High School that are all engaged in service learning work. And uh, they've chosen to work on underage drinking and substance abuse. Uh, David Savage is with us, Hannah Boyce, and Abby Jewett from Mount Desert Island High School. A little later, we'll ask you to be involved in the phone call. And, and uh, But right now, we're going to talk with Ed Eshley. Ed is the executive director of the Acadia Family Center and the Mount Desert Island Drug and Alcohol Group. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Ed. Hey, Ron. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. Great, and I think I, I, I should say welcome back, because we've had you on, on uh, Talk of the Towns in the past, so thanks for being with us. Um, give us a little bit of a, a background on the Acadia Family Center and the M- MDI Drug and Alcohol Group. What, um, what is that gr- um, process that you're working through? Sure. Well, uh, MDI Alcohol and Drug Abuse Group was started back in 1978 to uh, do education, prevention, and treatment work here on the island. And then in 88, they started Acadia Family Center to do the treatment work. And in the last few years, uh, most of the programming of education, prevention, and treatment have been shifted over to Acadia Family Center. And so we're out in the schools uh, doing work on the island uh, and some of the surrounding communities. Um, uh, Probably some of the uh, your guests there have uh, met Kip Young before. Mm-hmm. I think all of your guests have met yeah, Kip. They're nodding their heads, Ed, so yeah. that's great. <laughs> I couldn't hear them nod. <laughs> but, and and Jess, Jessica, thank you for, uh, for your talk. I was listening to what you were saying earlier, and, uh, boy, it's just uh, full of resiliency talk, and that is exactly what uh, we're trying to do with our prevention program. Uh, Kip has been in the schools, and uh, he and Milia Brecca Muro from uh, Healthy Acadia are probably coming into uh, Bar Harbor Airport just about now from a training out in California on resiliency work. And what we'll be doing is part of this resiliency initiative that we started a couple of years ago where uh, we're training everyone that works with young people to begin to look at uh, natural resiliency, natural strengths within the people that they're working with. And, and Jessica, as Jessica was saying, trying to find those positive outlets uh, those alternatives to using um, to, um, to kind of shift the the, the general um, way that uh, these things are addressed. Rather than focusing on the problem, we focus on uh, strengths and solutions, and uh, that's what we're trying to do with the with the education program in the schools. And, well, I mean, that strikes me as quite a different approach than um, what we have seen in the past around um, whether it's um, um, sexual activity or uh, drug and alcohol, the, the just say no um, syndrome. Uh, if you could contrast that approach and, and what you're talking about, that might be helpful. Sure. Uh, it's a matter of visualization. When, it, we, when we visualize something, it brings us toward that. Whatever we focus on expands in our lives. And our minds do not understand and know, huh. you know, that, that negative. So um, if, if I were to say, you know, whatever you do, don't imagine an elephant's backside, <laughs> what happens is we're all imagining that and we're visualizing that. So when we say just say no to drugs, we are actually visualizing the drugs, and what we visualize draws us toward them. So what we try to do with the Resiliency Project is to uh, focus on those strengths, those alternatives to using, and stay in that positive uh, frame of mind, in that positive visualization. So um, when Kip works with a group of students, what what might be some of the exercises that Kip would use to help people think about those uh, natural strengths that that all of us have? 
well, I, I, I think Kip would be the better one to answer that. <laughs> right. All, and although he's you know not available right now, I think I can generally say that. Uh, and some of your guests might be able yep. to talk about what he's uh, uh, done with them in the past. Um, and um, you know, it's very similar to the work that Jessica is doing too. Um, so uh, it's it's about. I mean, he does two things with it. He talks mostly about uh, the consequences and and being real honest about that. That there are consequences to these these choices. And then helping uh, them to focus on those ways that they don't have to make that choice to use. Mm-hmm. And is that um, something that you might also use with adults that in, in, that come to Acadia Family Center? Absolutely. Everything that we do in treatment is focused on strength and resiliency, so that we are uh, focusing on getting people into support groups uh, outside, uh, support groups within our our program, and we also have a teen program. We have uh, what we call the APT program, or Acadia program for teens. And um, that, again, is focusing on those strengths, on those uh, alternatives to using uh, for, the, for the kids. So they make that choice uh, Great. rather than to go what might be a generational answer to those external problems. They find those internal solutions to these things. And um, how, how is the community um, in general um, receiving this approach at resiliency? And is there support that you're finding in the community? Does this resonate with community members that you might go to to um, seek funding or to seek support for um, your work in the schools? Absolutely. Uh, we have seen an increase both in funding and in um, uh, treatment sessions at Acadia Family Center. We, over the last three years, we've increased our number of sessions 36% each year. So we are continuing to serve more people in that way, and we've seen a response in the resiliency project itself with the schools. The uh, MDI school system had us in for two trainings. Um, one was, in a, was a faculty-wide, an all-faculty meeting where we did uh, resiliency training where we brought Nan Henderson in from Los Angeles to do that training. Mm. So this the is response, a, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, uh, the response has been it has been overwhelming. Uh, that people see this as a real good solution, and it's not that kind of pointing at the problem. Uh, oh, woe is me! You know, we can't get through this. But we we are actually looking at the solutions and, and moving toward them. So it sounds like this is uh, um, and, and Jessica can confirm this um, as well. This is kind of a national or maybe international approach that um, is gaining gaining recognition and strength. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Great. Well, Ed, um, why don't you give us your contact um, information for Acadia Family Center so that if, if folks who are listening um, want to be in touch, um, they know how to reach you. Sure. Um, if you are anyone is interested in knowing more about Acadia Family Center and our treatment program for adults, our treatment program for teens, or any of the resiliency trainings that we do for school systems and for other agencies that work with youth, they can contact uh, me at 244-4012. Great. And um, you also have a website, so if people um, use their web browser and ask for Acadia Family Center, they'll find out some more information. They will find us, acadiafamilycenter.org. Wonderful. Thanks so much for being with us, Ed. You're welcome, Ron. Thanks for having me. And Jessica, thanks for all the work you do. And uh, and you folks, you other folks, good luck in high school. I know that you have a good <laughs> Good base, and I love the service learning project that you're doing. Great. Thanks so much. Okay, Ron, thank you.
Ed Ashley is the uh, executive director of the Acadia Family Center, um, lo- located on Mount Desert Island. Um, uh, you're listening to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about resiliency as a strategy to combat underage drinking and substance abuse. And uh, we have um, two kinds of experts <laughs> in the in the studio with us. Um, Jessica Naylor is with us. Uh, she's a substance abuse counselor for the Open Door Recovery Program. We also have three students from Mount Desert Island High School, uh, David Savage, Hannah Boyce, and Abby Jewett. And each of them have chosen some service learning projects um, that connect um, what they're doing with the community in some way, um, having to do with um, underage drinking and substance abuse. And we're going to learn more about them um, and their projects in the, in the next half hour. But if you'd like to participate, you you can give us a call at any time at 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378. I'll start with Hannah and Boyce, uh, Hannah Boyce and Abby Jewett. Um, you've um, kind of uh, decided to get together um, and frame a solution uh, that works with um, older youth and younger youth. Tell us a little bit about um, how that project kind of came together in your mind. Did you have some experience where older youth were mentoring you in, in when you were younger? Um, yeah. Hannah, we want to start? Um, I, I've learned that um, younger kids look up to older people. So if we go and talk to younger kids, then they will look up to us and hopefully listen uh-huh. and know what's right and wrong. How about you? Yeah, that was kind of brought up a lot, and I remember back in middle school, like, being in fourth grade, a lot of the kids from the high school would come down and, like, talk about just stuff to us and mm-hmm. all that, and so that just kind of popped in our heads. Right. So what kinds of things would you actually do in your service learning project? What What do you envision um, doing to work with o- older kids, working with younger kids? Um, we plan to educate them more on, like, what can happen if you drink mm. and the effects of it. Has has anything that we've talked about so far in the resiliency idea, um, has that struck a chord? Yeah. So it's yeah. not just about the consequences, but what else might you be talking about with kids? Like what will happen to like your body if you actually start doing this and like family-wise too, like once you start doing this, how this will impact your family and friends mm-hmm. and so that that talks a lot about the consequences. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And probably coming from an older per, um, person, um, you're still students, but you're an older um, student, um, that probably um, at least stick in people's minds. Oh, they care about me, and they care about that subject, maybe. Yeah. 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 So where's the project now? How how what what have you done so far to get this project underway? Um, we've basically so far we've just been looking up a lot of information of like, um, like what are the systems? Yeah, this 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 I can't say it. Right, yeah. right, yep. <laughs> and um like what will happen to them and just kind of fill their heads, like especially the younger ones, because now I've learned like it it'll it has started at an early age. Uh-huh. So if we tell them sooner, it'll hopefully stick in their heads that this is bad and that you don't want to do this. Okay. And I suppose when um, Kip gets back um, and Amelia Brecker-Demiro gets back, um, they'll be working with you about um, some of these things as well. Yeah. We have a couple of phone calls right now, so let's take those phone calls. Um, Go ahead with your question, but give us your your, um, name and your hometown, please, and and then go ahead with your question. Go ahead, please. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. This is Yo in Tremont. You mentioned briefly early in the show that students take marijuana for pain and anxiety and I'm wondering isn't the real problem pain and anxiety in terms of what people are dealing with 
Is that what you're asking? That's correct. Yes. Why, why isn't pain and anxiety identified as the underlying problem? And it seems to me that that uh, resort to drug and alcohol use is sort of symptomatic of that. Well, that might be. Yeah, yeah. Jessica, you want to comment? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of times that's absolutely true. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So the, um, helping um, all, all people um, come into situations where they have pain and they are get anxious and giving them other coping skills to deal with that uh, may be helpful and helping them deal with those sources of pain and that anxiety is a great, great solution. So that, that makes sense, Yo. Yes. Okay, we have another uh, phone call. I'm glad to have you with us on Talk of the Towns. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi. Um, I just I, uh, keep hearing uh, people separate alcohol from other drugs, and I wish that uh, people would uh, just uh, say drugs mm. uh, because alcohol is a liquid drug and uh, uh, quit stop giving the alcohol business a pass. <laughs> That's a good point. Thank you. Thanks for your call this morning. Um, 1-866-625-9378 um, is this phone number. You can participate as well by calling us uh, um, toll-free, 1-866-625-9378, as we talk about resiliency as a strategy to combat underage drinking and substance abuse. We have another phone call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Good morning, Ron. I have a question for your counselor. Uh-huh. Uh... You don't seem to make any attempt to distinguish between use and abuse. So do you believe that there is any uh, valid, decent um, use for alcohol in the planet, or you, are you a prohibitionist? <laughs> That's a good question. Thanks. No, I'm not a prohibitionist. Um, I, I do believe that some people, um, you know, if you're over the age of 21, it's legal. And, I, you know, I certainly have... I have friends that drink, and, and you know, we'll have a glass of wine with dinner or a couple of drinks with friends. Um, the folks that I, I generally work with are not um, in that situation, and so I tend to talk more about addiction and substance abuse just because those are the folks that I work with, but I am not anti-alcohol. Great. Okay. Now, I, I've got one more question. So apparently, <clears throat> from your answer, I... I am inferring then that you are a believer in the 21-year-old drinking age in America. Yeah, I am. Okay, so that leads me to another short question, which is <clears throat> why, why do you suppose that of all the countries in the world that allow and permit alcohol consumption legally, that we are the only country that has a 21-year-old drinking age? There is one other country in Asia that has a 20-year-old drinking age, but every other country in the world, of which, as you know, there are dozens and dozens and dozens, ha uh, the drinking age is 18 or younger in some countries, like Germany, where you're allowed beer and wine when you're 16. And uh, it, <clears throat> does it not strike you that this is a little bit um, representative of the American arrogant, we're number one and we know it all, sort of like our attitude towards so-called socialized health care or national health care? Boy, you're, you're taking this quite a, quite a ways from our topic this morning. That's, that's interesting. Um, I think you've expressed the, these views in the past, and I believe I understand that th in the past you've expressed the idea that um, w in some countries there's a healthier attitude around alcohol use. And, you know, that probably is the case. I don't think anybody argues with that. Um, we're trying to um, deal with the topic of resiliency. So um, thanks for your call this morning, and we'll see what some of the other callers and, and our guests 
um, are thinking about. Um, as we talk about um, resiliency, um, the idea that um, kids have natural strengths, th things that they have to kind of rely on, that helps them deal with some of the pain and anxiety that one of our callers was talking about. Tell us a little bit about how those two things are connected. If someone is feeling pain, what are their choices? What are their alternatives? Jessica? Um, <clears throat> I think especially as a teenager, um, one of the de developmental skills that um, we're learning is how to deal with pain. Mm. And so sometimes folks, um, if they start using alcohol or drugs as a way to, to cope with that pain. That becomes their main coping tool, you mm. could say. Mm. And that happens sometimes when folks are having that modeled for them at home or by, uh, you know, a sibling. Um, but part of the problem is when you get to be in your, you know, your adult years, you haven't learned any other coping skills. Um, so, you know, some of the other coping skills, and actually this is something that we talk about um, in prevention classes too with sixth graders. It, it really, I'll, I'll ask kids to think about, you know, what can you do if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling hurt or you're lonely, and actually have them come up with a list of different things that they could do that are healthy, kind of positive tools. I almost think of it like having, you know, a toolbox, you know, this mm. happens and you can pull out this tool and use it and just kind of embrace that as a healthier way to do. Well, let's play that right now. Let's, yeah. let's see what um, our teens um, might say. Uh, rephrase the question one more time and we'll see if, if they have some responses about, uh, about that. Jessica? One more time, rephrase the question. Okay, so the question would be, um, you know, if you were feeling angry, what are some of the things that you could do to deal with that anger? Um, talk to somebody. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Any other other suggestions? Um, probably just go to like one of your quiet places mm. and just kind of calm it down. Uh huh. Uh huh. I guess. How about you, David? When you feel that, that kind of anger, are there ways to cope with that? Well, sometimes I can try to get some energy out by either like playing sports or maybe you know lifting weights or something like that just to get some of that anger out. Uh -huh. So I'll get a lot of energy out once you lose your energy. That's great. The anger's That's gone. Great. So pretty easy way mm -hmm. to come up with some alternatives yeah. to, so, well, alcohol works, but it works for a short time in, in dealing with that particular um, mm -hmm. problem. So it's, it's asking those kinds of questions that gets kids to understand, oh, I've got some other coping skills. Yes. Um, how about the, the notion, because um, there's a social aspect to um, drinking and, and perhaps to marijuana use as well, um, what kind of question would you ask around the social kind of situation? Um, we actually sometimes will do role plays uh -huh. where we will, you know, come up with a situation, you know, you say you're at a party or something with, with friends and somebody pulls out a joint and, you know, offers it to you. You know, what can you do in that situation? How can you deal with that? And not necessarily just saying no, but, you know, actually what, what's the plan of action going to be? And I think that that's such a great idea to think about that ahead of time because if you're in a situation with your peers and say it's, folks that you, you know, think are very cool and, and you want to fit in with and, and this happens, you know, how are you going to deal with that? But if you think about it ahead of time um, and come up with some different ways of, you know, getting out of the situation or kind of stating where you're at, then then you'll be that far ahead, you know, when you get into that. Great. So having played it out in your mind yes. and, and maybe in a, in a role play situation, you're going to be better able to deal with that. Absolutely. Great. We have another phone call. Um, let's take that call. Um, you can participate as well by calling 1-866-625-9378. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Um, hi, I'm Aaron Jewett from Bass Harbor. 
Yes. Um, I have a question for the teens. Uh-huh. Um, how do you deal with peer pressure about drugs and stuff, especially as a freshman? Great, great question. Thanks for, for calling. You want to stay on the line and, and respond? So j just stay on the line for a minute. But how, how do you okay. deal with peer pressure? Um, um, you want to start in, Abby? Um, like... <laughs> Sorry, that's my brother. Yeah, well, I figured it was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, like, I know how, like, some people have asked me, why don't you drink and uh -huh. all that, and I tell them, like, I'm not that type of person. I don't see drinking and smoking underage and all that being fun. Uh -huh. And they ask, like, why and all that, and I, I, I just say to them, if you can't accept me for who I am, then you just can't accept me. Great, great. How about you, Hannah? How would how do you deal with the whole question of peer pressure? Um, like pretty much what Abby said. Mm. It's like if you don't like what I um, choose, then too bad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're able to kind of say, be strong inside and, and yeah. kind of resist that. David, do you face that kind of situation where peers are kind of encouraging you to to uh, um, um, drink or, or smoke? Yeah, I've had those experiences before. Like, I've had experiences where people have offered me, and I think to myself basically that if the only reason they're going to be friends with me is if I do that, then they're not worth being friends with. Uh -huh. So, uh -huh. That's great. That's great. Um, what's the kind of sense that you have, uh, Jessica, in terms of helping kids deal with peer pressure? Is that pretty typical, that they, they get strong inside themselves? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's really important because you have to have some, uh, some self-esteem on board to mm. refuse you know, what folks are sometimes mm. offering you. And, and I think, too, to have, if you have some friends around you that are willing to, you know, make those same choices, there's definitely power in numbers, you know, and teens tend to feel, you know, you feel more supported. It's yeah. important. Well, the fact that three of you decided to come on the radio and, and talk about this, um, that means that you kind of have kind of developed a little support system among yourselves. And you probably extend that um, out, and you probably have some other friends that feel the same way. That's great. Um, let's let's hear a little bit about um, uh, David Savage's approach. David, you've taken a different approach to um, dealing with the problem in your service learning project, and that has to do with kind of some policy choices. Um, tell us about your ideas around uh, policy choices. Well, my idea for it is I could try to make it so there's only a legal limit to the amount of alcohol you can buy in a certain day. Hmm. Like, I don't know, maybe we could get people like a card that they would have to get in order to buy alcohol, and mm -hmm. judging by like I don't know, maybe their body weight, their personality, or something like that, how much alcohol they could buy in a certain day. Okay, so trying to limit the amount because yeah. um, that gets um, the, the um, what has been called binge drinking, you know, where there's lots of alcohol consumed, you believe that's trying to set some kind of limit. Um, and what, what homework have you done to kind of find out whether that approach might work? Well, I was really thinking that, like, you know, even if, like, they keep buying alcohol every day and they don't use it, at mm -hmm. least it's preventing it for a while. Mm. Like, it will prevent them for a couple of days not to drink, and then maybe they'll see that drinking isn't exactly the way to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then if they just keep drinking, they're probably going to get frustrated because they can't get, like, you know, drunk or anything because it's not enough alcohol, so mm -hmm. they might just stop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was thinking, like, how that will work. Mm -hmm. So that's not too different than the 21-year-old drinking age, you know, pr trying to put limits on who can drink and how much they can drink. Um, have you looked at um, what policies, our, one of our callers talked about um, the di some of the differences between our country and other countries. Have you looked at other countries and how they might deal with uh, alcohol sales at all? Well, I think in other countries they don't push the limit as much as we do because we know that if we lower the drinking age, 
that everyone would be just going for it, like, mm. completely. Mm. And other countries there were taught more to, like, be, you know, um, they would be able to limit more on what they can drink and know what their limits are. Mm-hmm. And we just go all out mm. for it, so. You think that's really different between us and other, other people, you think, or just a culture, the way people kind of learn about these things? I think it's more culture. Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, what, what's the next step in your project? We've heard a little bit in terms of the um, uh, project that um, Abby and Hannah are involved in, that they're going to be um, uh, learning more about um, the topic so that they might kind of design the project. What's your next step? Well, my next step basically for what I'm doing is I'm talking to, um, I think I'm going to be talking to Kip Young later, and mm-hmm. I might actually be talking to the governor, um, Dennis mm-hmm. Neiman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to be talking to him later. Den- Dennis isn't the governor yet. Oh, sorry. Okay, he's I a senator, was... right? Oh, he might like to be governor, but um, <laughs> we haven't heard that officially yet. Oh. Um, so, yeah, so talking with a lawmaker, yeah. somebody who is in that position, is a great yeah. idea to find out, well, what's the history in Maine? How, how have we talked about um, those kinds of things? Now, that strikes me as uh, policy-wise and might something you might be interested in is looking at prohibition. We had a period a time in the United States when we said no alcohol. So that's a that's a model that you can look at and say, oh, did that work? How did it work? What were the problems with it? What were the successes with it? So policy is, I think, is a really interesting approach that um, I don't see a lot of students thinking about. They're thinking about that one to one. You're thinking about, well, is there a law? Is there a way that we can do that? That's great. That's great. So I'll, I'll be interested to hear um, how you how you make out with that. Um, any other ideas about next steps for um, for your project? Um, because you're, you're learning. You'll work with Kip um, and Amelia later on. Um, think back to some of the, the, the older students that you knew. Um, were they telling you stories about um, the consequences of drugs, or were they getting to this resiliency idea that you had some choices to make, that you didn't have to choose alcohol and drugs? Um, so it gets to the idea of that, that you have some choices. Do you remember any of that kind of talk? I remember it was kind of like a little bit of both. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. They tell us the consequences, and then they tell us like what we could do, and, like for a different, like a plan B. Okay, a plan B. Yeah. Great, great. Having a plan B, Jessica, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. It does absolutely. And I think I think to have some, you know, high school kids going in and talking to some of the younger kids, I think is a great idea because they really, I think, are going to be very open to. Right, Which and so you, you might say. think about um, telling kids not only about the consequences, but what you do, what your strategies are, so that they say, oh, there, I can choose that path. Or, um, you know, uh, David mentioned that um, he really likes sports as a way to kind of work off some of that energy. Um, telling uh, kids um, who are younger about all of the other opportunities in high school that they have besides, you know, um, going with the gang. So that may be an approach you want to you think about. Um, as as we um, begin to, to wrap up, we've got another 15 minutes um, for our show. Um, um, I'll remind listeners that they can participate. Um, maybe you've got some stories about um, resiliency in uh, teens and what they do to kind of um, choose a different path than the path that has some real tough consequences. Give us a call at 1-866-625-9378 if you'd like to participate. Um, uh, Jessica, what are some of the logical next steps um, that you might suggest to um, our teens here and teens who might be listening or parents who are listening in terms of continuing to develop this whole idea of resiliency? Um, I guess, you know, one of the things that I ask teens to think about is what what are some of the, the healthy, positive things that you really enjoy doing, um, you know, that, that bring joy to your life, you know, because those things are going to be things that you're going to want to do more of and 
the more of those things we have, you know, I think the more likely we are to stay drug free. Uh-huh. And do you do that in a, in a group setting or an individual setting? Do you, do you talk about what brings joy to your life to, in a group and how does that work? Um, so if we're going to ask you that question in just a minute and see if that, that um, has an answer. What, what brings you happiness in your life? And we'll, we'll ask that. Tell us a little bit about your experience when you ask that kind of question. Um, it's sometimes, I mean, I ask that of sixth graders sometimes when I'm talking to uh-huh. them in classes. And a lot of times we'll just go around and I'll have each student, you know, say one or two things that they really enjoy doing. Um, I do do groups at um, several of the high schools that I work at, and that's something we talk about there. And I usually try to bring that into individual sessions as well because I think it's it's an important point. Mm. We don't um, very easily talk about feelings, and that's a cultural thing that <laughs> David, you know, says. Well, there, there's different cultures, um, so I'm going to ask you guys. Um, it may be a little hard, but what brings you happiness in life? In terms of are th- are there activities or events or things that in your life that bring you happiness, or or as Jessica said, joy? What what are some of the? How would you answer that question, Hannah? What, what makes you happy? Um, hanging out with my friends. Yeah. And just chilling with the family. Uh huh. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I agree with Hannah. But I, part of my life, a big part of my life is basketball. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, bas- just being outside, I guess, with my brothers, uh-huh. playing basketball, even mom too. Uh huh. Great. Great. How about you, David? Well, a lot of what makes me happy is also hanging out with my friends, as she said, and basically being considered an athlete, uh-huh. being able to be considered one of those that people that Great. play sports actually right. makes me pretty happy. So there's something that's, that's really satisfying about that. It makes you feel good inside. And that's what I think you're, you're saying. You know, yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Great. We do have another caller. Um, I'll list our phone numbers first um, if in case there are other folks who are waiting to um, participate in this con- conversation about resiliency as a way to combat underage drinking and substance abuse. Go ahead, caller, with your uh, name if you'd like to share it and uh, your question or comment. Uh, yeah, hello. My name is Greg, and I've been listening to the radio program. I really enjoy it quite a bit. I've actually been in recovery for about 15 years myself, mm. and uh, certainly can understand, <clears throat> you know, all the various dynamics of uh, dysfunctional family and genetic predisposition um, to the disease of addiction, um, and all the challenges that that brings for, uh, you know, for people, especially for adolescents. And what I would uh, just comment on is, is I know that the success that I've had um, in my experience has been, um, you know, learning a lot about myself and my connection to a higher power and to people around me uh, through uh, 12-step programs. Uh-huh. And certainly um, actually have many, many family members and, and close friends who have uh, just found a, a fabulous way to live through those uh, 12-step programs, which really, by the very nature of them, embody resiliency. So mm. I would just make that suggestion that, uh, that that's a great uh, avenue and, and resource, which I'm sure your uh, your uh, panel is, is aware of already. Thank you. Well, great. Um, are you still with us? Could I ask you yes. one more question? Um, what was it like for you as an adolescent? Um, do, do you remember those days much, and, and, and do you... F- you know, feel some kind of uh, connection to what, what what our teens are saying here on the on the radio. Oh, I, I certainly do, um, and I think it's important to recognize that um, sometimes, um, again, the the genetic predisposition and the modeling of family members. Um, I think, especially for kids, and the you, you guys were just starting to talk about 
not being able to relate feelings and, and express feelings and whatnot. Some of that becomes, for, for some adolescents, I think, um, that the layers become so deep and, and so um, almost impossible to overcome, if not totally impossible to overcome on, on their own devices. And you're very correct, and one of the panel was talking about the um, the discovery early on about pain and anxiety and shame and all the things that all the unpleasant feelings and and the almost uh, almost magical discovery that that substances can take that away of course ultimately that any like any medication it stops working mm. and then you're left with uh, just pretty much raw untreated addiction and um, so I think it's important to recognize that there are some kids who um, uh, may be easier to to overcome or maybe don't have those family dynamics, maybe don't have that genetic predisposition, and, and maybe the kids who, who do not have those problems, um, hopefully they can understand that, that the people that they, they, they may see in their school having those situations are not bad people. Mm. They're not... Uh, Mm. Uh, morally deficient people. They're not. They're not bad kids. They they simply don't have those coping skills. And some of them sort of have been dealt a, a crappy uh, hand of cards. But right. it doesn't mean. Um, that I, I guess the encouragement about trying to get help. I think that's the biggest thing. The biggest. Uh, one of the biggest words I ever learned was the word. The very short word. We. Mm-hmm. Um, not all about I. It's. it's mm-hmm. we. Well, thank you so much for sharing the wisdom that sounds like has been hard won, but really, really deep. So thank you very much for sharing this morning. Thank you, and thank for your radio show. Okay. one 625 one This notion of, of helping people learn to ask for help. So maybe that's another net lesson that you might take to the, your younger peers to think about, okay, there's help available that, that um, you can ask for help, and it's okay to ask for help. Does that make sense? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Is that part of the lesson that Kip, um, is it Kip Young and, and others have been kind of giving when you um, kind of work with them at the school? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And, and Jessica, comment on, on our caller's um, um, wisdom, really, about um, uh, looking for help and then recognizing that there's so much support that we gain by um, connecting ourselves to one another. And uh, whether it's a 12-step program or other fellowship, you must see that in, in your work as well. Yeah, I, I really appreciated uh, Greg's call. And I think that um, one of the things about 12-step programs that's so wonderful is that often folks that are experiencing addiction feel like um, they're the only one Mm. and they feel very isolated. And what happens usually when you get a bunch of people in a room, um, you know, at a a meeting is that you find out that you're not alone and usually there's a lot of relating that Mm -hmm. happens and and a lot of, there's a lot of understanding there Mm -hmm. and connection, which is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I really appreciated his call. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, when you um, work with um, students at at the high school or or lower grade levels, um, how do you approach this notion of of um, one getting help and and uh, kind of looking to to the the network or the the support system that might be there that they might find? Well, you know, one of the things that um, that we talk about is is how you know, you know, like the caller 
that we just previously had was talking about how it's not folks that have addictions aren't they're not bad people right they're that there I think there has been a stigma attached to alcoholism and, and drug addiction in the past and I think that that's starting to change um, I think there's more education and understanding that it really you know what there really is a different you know chemical process that's going on in that brain of an alcoholic and that's not something that somebody chooses um, but choosing to get he- that choice to get help, that's that's where the choice is. And um, sometimes that's a really hard place to get to, um, but it's also a really wonderful place because that's where the change begins to happen. Um, so um, each of you um, as students have talked about the importance of hanging out with your friends. And that that's a kind of su- a support network, isn't it? Um, and so you can probably, even though you're that you're kind of hanging out, some of them are going to come up with problems that they're coping with and helping them say, oh, um, you have some choices, probably makes sense. Does that come up um, when you're hanging out? Uh, do kids talk about the problems they're facing as well as, you know, what makes them happy? Kind of. It mm-hmm. also kind of depends on how close you are with your friends, mm. whether they're willing to be that open with you. Mm. What are some of the ways that you found um, helps them be more open? Do you have any ideas about what makes people feel more open to talk about what their issues are and their problems? Um, probably also when you share stuff with them. Mm-hmm. It also mm-hmm. makes them feel closer, I guess. Great. And they can trust you. Uh-huh. So sharing yourself makes them feel more, well, if she's shared that, I can share this. That's yeah. great. That's great. We're almost ready to, to wrap up, and so I'll, I'll ask you each to, to uh, think about um, ways that you want this work to go forward. Um, David, what's, what's your hope um, in terms of, of working on, on um, resiliency as a way to combat drug and alcohol use by, by teens? I think that maybe it will help people realize that there are other ways to, you know, like make yourself feel better uh-huh. and that just because there is alcohol there doesn't mean you have to use it okay great great well good luck to you as you as you pursue both the policy question and i'm sure you're, you're going to be dealing with with this um in, in throughout your service learning thanks um how about uh you hannah uh, what are your hopes um pretty much the same as david mm. i just hope that they realize that there's better things that you can be doing mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. going to that better things and that they have some things within themselves that they can draw on, that they they have this natural resiliency um, and they can use that. Great, great. How about you, Abby? Yeah, mine's the same with David and Hannah, but also, like, since Hannah and I are thinking about going to schools and talking to littler children Mm -hmm. to prevent it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And help them understand that they have some of the same resiliency or the strengths that you have. Yeah. And give them some, some of those hopes. Yeah, great. How about you, um, uh, Jessica? Tell us a little bit about what you're hoping as as we end our program this morning. Um, I, 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 for some reason, I just keep going back to thinking of what Ed had said earlier about um, the idea of visualization, mm. and I, I really um, like his description of you know that what we visualize is what we move closer towards. So, I just would like to see you know more of this you know resiliency used as a tool. And really keeping it in the positive and, and having, you know, you know, teens thinking about, you know, what are their dreams? What do they look like? And really to kind of keep bringing that up as a, as a point to come back to, I think, is going to be really important. Mm. And if you would just list um, contact information for the Open Door Recovery System. Yes. Program. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'll give you the phone number. It's 667-3210. 
Great. Thanks to, to all of you for being with us. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was supported and produced um, by Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balnane House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests, um, uh, David Savage, Hannah Boyce, and Abby Jewett are all students at Mount Desert Island High School. Jessica Naylor is a substance abuse counselor who works with many area schools. She's with the Open Door Recovery uh, Program, and Ed Eshley is the Executive Director of Cadia Family Center. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Joel Mann for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation.